Welcome to Darkly Lit, where we gaze out our dirty window, out at the raining city, down in the alleyway to see a homeless woman scraping her fingernails along the dumpster, and ask, who is she, and why is she crying for her lost children? I am your host, Kayla King. I'm joined by my other two wonderful co-hosts, Sade. Hello. Buenas noches. <laughs> and my other amazing co-host, David. No, I haven't seen your kids. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Are you sure you haven't seen him? One's one's black and very fluffy. He's got a very fluffy butt, and the other one whines oh, a yeah, lot. Yeah, those kids. Well, I would help <laughs> you find those kids. Those are good, good boys or good children. I, I was like, wait, no, one of your cats is a girl. One of the other yeah. cat is a boy. But you're right. One's got a fluffy butt. The other one's got a fluffy butt. Both are fluffy butts. Both are fluff butts. Yes. Hmm. Our story that we just read is not about fluffy butts. <laughs> Maybe we will. One day we might have a story a about fluffy butt story. <laughs> we have to find a story about cats, though. That's the whole point. Oh, there's definitely some horror stories about cats out oh, there. Oh, plenty, plenty. We actually read a short story called Lacrimosa by uh, Sylvia Moreno Garcia, Woo! who wrote probably my favorite novel of last year. It is probably one of my top five favorite novels, and her writing doesn't disappoint this time either. Yeah. So. I'll give, it's hard to summarize Lacrimosa, not because, not hard, it's not going to be a long summary, because no. for the most part, it's in vignettes, or not vignettes, it's moments in this person's life. Uh, Ramon, who lives in Vancouver, he's from Mexico, but then he keeps seeing this homeless lady who keeps asking, she's, where's my children? I lost my children. And he can't help but think of La Llorona, something from his childhood, and this makes him think of home. And the fact that he left his mom and his sister. And since he couldn't at the time when he moved, first he moved to California and he was working as a dishwasher and he couldn't give his family money. So he sent postcards and this angered his sister. And then afterwards, he just kind of lost touch with them when he moved to Vancouver. And during the story, he does try to call him again and there's no one there. And there's just horrifying images interspersed with him starting to feel afraid of this homeless woman and imagining that she's right outside watching him or chasing after him mm -hmm. until finally at the end when and it's just pouring down rain and the streets are basically rivers that we're not even sure if this is real or not, but he hugs her. It, it is haunting. Well, if we know one thing about Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, it's that she does haunting very well. Yes, mm -hmm. she does. Mm -hmm. But this, the prose style of this felt very different than Mexican Gothic in a lot of ways. And I want to start right by that and saying it's kind of cool seeing her write this short story that has a, a different vibe to it, but still hits the fundamental bits that make a good story spooky. And also having it be a very personal story at the same time. Absolutely. Looking at uh, Silvia Moreno's Garcia's background, she too is a born in Mexico, lives in Canada. So mm -hmm. I can see the connections there. Yeah. What about you, Sade? What did you think of this story? I really enjoyed it. I knew it was a short story, so I did put it off for a little while. And I was like, okay, no, I got to read this because we're going to talk about it soon. But I wasn't in the mood to read. But like, like two paragraphs in, I was like, oh, I'm interested. And I, I was like, cool, I want to <laughs> read. <laughs> Um, so I love this woman's writing, like, because I really love Mexican Gothic. And 
like, ugh, just so good. So just the atmosphere and the spookies and just, like, you really feel it. And, like, so you guys know I live in Portland. So, like, the description of Vancouver sounded a lot like Portland, especially with, like, the homeless population. So I was like, mm, well, this is hitting all the right places for me. So um, I love the story. I have thoughts, and I'm just I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. Ditto. I actually read this before we finished reading Tender is the Flesh. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I needed a break that. from Tender is the Flesh. Funny enough, uh, my one of my uncle's name is Ramon. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. He's the one with the really cool scar. He's blinded one eye. I'll, I'll oh. maybe told you guys that story. I'm not going to repeat it here. That's fine. <laughs> I think you did, though. <laughs> For me, I just read it today because like you, I was just like, ah, I'm not in the mood. Oh, wait, I have to read it today. But I kept I kept going. It really was engaging. I was like, more, more, please. This is great. This is not what I expected, but it's what I wanted. Because I, I was hoping it wasn't just a typical La Llorona story. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is those type of stories tend to like usually take place in Mexico or... New Mexico or Arizona in this sort of deserty area whenever they incorporate the La Llorona story. Or there's usually a focus on Day of the Dead and such. And it's just nice that it's like, oh, it's taking place in Vancouver, mm-hmm. which is a very urban location and is comparing to a homeless population. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to say if Los Angeles has a higher homeless population than Portland. Both it- of them are are pretty prevalently places where the unhoused end up yes mm-hmm. i think in in portland it's a little more on the surface level like if you're walking through portland especially now after covid and, and everything whereas like the times that i've visited you guys down there i don't see it as often or it's as noticeable but that's just my my personal experience of how i like i think you're right i think there's certain places where it's more prevalent in los angeles county but they usually tend to hide like they're under bridges or they're at the edges of the freeway with uh portland it is there's no doubt about there it's right there yeah having only been to portland just for the first time this year and riding around with y'all on the uh, public, you know, on the max train. Yeah. The max. I saw so many tents. I saw so many places where people had just congregated, where the homeless had just congregated and were, it was very obvious. And it was interesting to me because there's different signs and different things, but right. Portland feels very different Mm -hmm. in terms of like, yeah, you're right. They're more on the surface. You do see them, kind of out in the open and i wouldn't i'm not saying that like it's a bad thing Mm -mm. either these are people who are just trying to get by you know and i don't want to like shame anybody who you know in a situation like that although i feel like um with the vancouver culture at least from what i'm seeing from ramon's point of view in the story I mean, he he's absolutely afraid of this homeless woman in general. And it mm-hmm. could just be that she's La Llorona. But I feel like it's a bit deeper than that. The way he describes them, or just like the, the problem of homelessness itself, he describes it in like this like disgusted, almost contempt kind of way. Yeah. Which is, which is very cruel. And then like how the first thing he says is like, it's just ignore them. Like that's how you deal with it. You just ignore it. Which for a lot of people who live in these urban areas who just don't acknowledge the issue but like the fear that he has for this one woman in particular 
and I, we then see is, is more specifically tied to like what he is reminded of through her. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It is interesting because it's like this is someone who did come from nothing mm-hmm. and was in a difficult situation and now is now just like you said, he he is now disgusted by them. He's mm-hmm. uncomfortable by them. And it's just what a shift in. There is a line where he kind of describes of like how the past Ramon, like the, the Ramon of where he came from has like kind of shed it away or molted away over the years. Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of like he's distant himself from coming from such a, a low place um, before, like where his family struggled and they, they all like crowded into into like one bedroom where like like my my family and I like me my mom my brother when we were growing up we shared an apartment with both of my aunts and so my aunt one aunt slept in the living room my other aunt and her two kids slept in one room and then me my mom and brother all shared another bedroom so like it just I think it was kind of this like oh I came from this low upbringing and then he has distanced himself so far from it that when he sees this, like, homeless population that reminds him of just, like, that, that childhood trauma almost, he's disgusted by it. He doesn't want to acknowledge it. He just wants to keep walking and ignore it. So, I don't know. This was all, like, super relatable in different ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it does come from a very personal place, at least from mm-hmm. the character's perspective, because he is equating the squalor that he sees as he would put it you know the contempt there for the contempt for his own past and he sees himself having distanced himself from that the fear kind of manifests in like seeing that past come back to haunt him so what this homeless woman comes to represent whether she is the yorona or not is what he left behind Mm -hmm. and what is trying to catch up with him Another thing that, as a result, that he left behind is his family. Because there's mm-hmm. a point where he says, I have not spoken to them in years. And then when he finally calls that number that he had, there's no one answers. It's disconnected. Yes, yeah, so it's like it's he, he left his, physically, he left his family behind. He has no connection to them anymore, no way of reaching them. But the thing that he couldn't leave behind is the guilt from that, the regrets of that. Mm-hmm. And this homeless woman, this Yorona, represents the guilt, which is... In itself, you go back to the old legends of La Llorona. She herself is a spirit of guilt. Mm-hmm. She haunts the world because she drowned her children. And the guilt is what keeps her tied to this earth as she s- seeks them. Should we probably mention who La Llorona is? Because there might be listeners out there who maybe they've never heard of the legend. I'd be surprised, but it could be possible. Well, I could go into it if you wanted. Sure. You wanted. Go for yeah, it. Go. Go for it, uh, especially since you wrote a one-hour-long <laughs> podcast episode about I had, uh, Yorona. Yeah, but I had a lot of help from Present Company writing it, too. Yes. That's the main thing. So La Yorona, the legend, typically goes that is, and there's lots of variations of it, which is the thing. There's there's so many versions of it, depending on where you go. But the basic version of it is, is that La Yorona is a spirit of a woman who either in a jealous rage or in a bid to win the affections of a man, uh, drowned her children in a river. And as a result, her soul cannot pass on until she finds the souls of her children again. And whether that's through guilt or, or through her own guilt or through punishment from heaven or something like that, the spirit wanders the earth crying, seeking her children and hoping to find them again. And many people, you know, especially in the Southwest or in Mexico, hear stories about, oh, don't go out at night by yourself or La Llorona will get you. 
she'll mistake you for her children and she'll drag you into the river. And a lot of people think it's a cautionary tale to keep children from playing near like waterways or going out at night. She's basically a cautionary tale in itself. But there's all kinds of versions of the legend, and she's always treated as this figure that is to be feared, but also kind of pitied in a strange way. I mean, she represents a lot. There's a lot wrapped into that legend. Uh, Some people think that the legend goes all the way back to when the Spanish first came and were, uh, you know, trying to conquer the Aztecs. And some trace La Llorona's origins back to uh, the wife of Cortez, La Malinche, who supposedly drowned her own children, the children she'd had with Cortez as sort of a a big middle finger to him for destroying her people. It's really wrapped up in a lot of stuff, and um, and it's so fun to explore the symbolism of that. And that, I think that's what's the important thing is to take away with this story, is La Llorona, ultimately, what she symbolizes in this mm-hmm. story. Absolutely. <laughs> um, another thing, too, is that I had to look up the title, because... I mean, lacrimosa isn't exactly a word that we use in everyday language. Well, especially not us, because <laughs> we're white as fuck. So. Well, lacrimosa is not even Spanish. It's not? Mm-mm. It's not. I actually looked it up. It's Latin. So uh, lacrimosa is Latin for weeping, um, is also the name that derives from uh, Mother Mary or Our Lady of Sorrows. Oh. But what it's most famous for is uh, Mozart's Requiem. Uh, lacrimosa is actually a part of that, and... I'm, I'm not going to read the whole, like, lines that are said in there that are in Latin, but what they mean is, Sorrowful day when rising from the dust, guilty man to be judge. God have mercy, compassionate Lord Jesus, grant them peace. Amen. And if this means anything, <laughs> j- just letting you know, Mozart's Requiem was written during the last year of his life. Oh. If that means anything, too. So, Interesting. Add that little bit of eeriness there. Do you think future David could put a recording of that in the background, just as we're talking? If you want to, I think. Yeah, Ooh, that would be cool. I did want to talk about the title as well, because one, I didn't know it wasn't Spanish, it was Latin, because I, I did recognize the word for its meaning, because there's like lagrimos, which mm-hmm. is like, like woes or regrets, so lagrimosa just made sense. And I thought it was interesting that the story was called Lagrimosa instead of La Llorona or mm-hmm. Llorona, because that's we don't see Lagrimosa like the word used in the story. We just see La Llorona. Mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking on it because like I didn't I didn't know the connection to it until I looked it up uh, with the like the Virgin Mary and whatnot. But like I was thinking like Lagrimosa would obviously mean someone who is like weeping or crying or full of regrets, and I was thinking like maybe. Lagrimosa is in reference to the homeless woman, Llorona, in the story, but maybe to Ramon himself, because he is clearly full of all these regrets that are manifesting now. If you connect it to the Virgin Mary, who's this, like, spirit of, of motherly love, that kind of makes sense, because, like, because, like, the ending, I'm just gonna cut to the ending. I fucking love the ending that he, like, It's a great her. ending! Because, like, it's the whole, like, oh, the, the La Llorona will get to you and she'll, like, drag you into the water with you. And he's, it's, like, described all the alleyways, this river now. And he goes to her and she, like, embraces him and it's like, oh, does she pull him into the waters? Like, he's just, oh, I loved it. So good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfectly gothic ending. And I actually like mm-hmm. that he reaches out to her, like, it's almost like he's recognizing his own guilt like here's a mother who's lost her children and i might be the children that are lost Mm -hmm. for all for all we know this could be his mother yeah he's like so so uh desperate for that comfort that he will take it where he can find it and also like he's like surrendering to those like 
this, that sadness and his woes and whatnot. Because <laughs> that's the one happy memory that he keeps bringing up is being in his mother's arms and his mother uh, combing his hair or petting his head. Exactly. And it, it's interesting because that is tied with the idea that the when stories were told to him about the Yorona, it scared him and he sought comfort or he sought comfort in his mother. And now he's trying to be the one to provide comfort in a strange way, but he's also seeking it. And ah, it's so good. It's good. It, it's it, good. It was, it was a wonderful little short story. I'm, was, I'm very thrilled by it. Like, very good story. It yes. also had some great imagery. First of mm-hmm. all, Vancouver is actually a pretty good setting because for those who don't know, Vancouver is very close to Seattle and it rains so much there. I, I've been there a few times and it has a very similar weather climate to Seattle. So when he says alleyways that are basically rivers, I believe it. it there's a possibly a good chance that there are alleyways that have turned into rivers because of how much it rains there. But there's parts in it where you're not sure if it's a nightmare because there is one description that's very horrific where he wakes up. Um, oh my goodness! Uh, I'm trying to look for it now. Is it the nightmare, like the, the nightmare he has, yeah, where his apartment is like flooding, and mm-hmm. the, the homeless woman is in his bed. Yeah, yeah, I have it right here. Uh, gnarled long fingers with filthy nails, nails caked with dirt, the smells of mud, putrid garbage, and mold hit him hard. He looks at his mother, and her hair is tangled of gray. Her yellow smile paints the dark. <laughs> like, it, we're to assume that's a nightmare, but then it's the some of the things he describes or hears starts to blend with his reality. So we're not even sure if is he actually hugging the homeless woman at the end, or is that another nightmare or dream he's having? Like, what is real? What is not? And does it matter? Yeah, it's all, it becomes really symbolic at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad we've read this. <laughs> it was a good find, Kayla. Thank you for finding yeah. this. <laughs> the, the strange part is how I came across it was, um, I, I knew I wanted to take a break from a long story or a book. And I was like, okay, let's do a short story. Something that is easily able to read and anyone can access it. So I looked up uh, uh, top horror short stories, you know, just Google simply. And one of the first things is Oprah's favorite horror stories. (laughs) (laughs) No joke. This is like one of the Oprah's book club thing or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I got to see this. So I clicked it and this was number one or it was at the top. And I was just like, wait, she wrote a horror story about... La Llorona? And I I read the summary. I'm like, I it has to be this one. I, I like I'd be I'd be insane not to choose this one for our next uh, read. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had high expectations just because I really did enjoy Mexican Gothic. It, it exceeded expectations, and there are some other books she has uh, written, like uh, Velvet Is the Night or uh, Gods of Jane and Shadow, and I re- I gods. I remember reading uh, about the idea of gods and Jane and Shadow, and that's one I want to read for sure. Oh yeah, that sounds so cool. They're, they're not horror novels. N- they but, don't have to be. Well, I'm not saying they don't have to be, but they're not books we're going to read for darkly lit. But they're definitely books I do plan to read. Same for the future. Um, I, I love her writing so much. 
<laughs> we didn't get uh, many questions, but uh, probably because it was short. And people, I mean, even Bringer responded back. He said, I enjoyed the story. I have no questions. But uh, Dan uh, or Urkelbot666 did have um, some comments of his own. He said, I was wondering what elements you all felt were the most effective and unnerving. I found myself, of course, spooked by the old homeless woman in the La Llorona implications slash connections. But what got it me more was the humanity of it all. I could relate a lot to Ramon and his desire to pull away from the things slash people he didn't care to hold on to about his old life. And that made me uncomfortable. I think modern society subconsciously pushes this self-made man thing that a lot of us fall into. But maybe that can lead to an overly ego-driven mindset. Also, how did you see the mother in terms of comparison to La Llorona? Has she simply, due to circumstances, drowned Ramon's sister? The story raises a lot of interesting points and questions about family and responsibility in a short amount of time. Great read. I didn't even think about that. The idea that metaphorically, Ramon's sister was kind of left to drown. Oh, yeah, because... Taking care of their mother. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Because Carmen actually does get angry at him for just sending postcards, and she's just saying, you... Why is why does he get to leave and she has to stay behind to take care of their mother? Exactly. I didn't even think about that. I mean, I did. Maybe at the time I was reading it, but it's... It, damn, Dan. <laughs> See, this is why I love when uh, readers actually give us responses or um, listeners uh, give their thoughts because there's things that we don't think about i mean i want to stress again this is a book club podcast and it's not just the three of us y'all are part of this too so if you want to be part of the discussion we encourage you to contact us and send us these things uh dan and bringer have been consistent listeners and have contributed a lot to the show that's not to say anything for the other folks who have also contributed i just want to acknowledge the consistency of their responses and yeah we encourage this because i didn't even think about that connection to it but it ties back to the legend as well which Mm -hmm. i love i love when stories can take something like that and give it a spin and explore why it sticks in the popular consciousness and explore angles we don't really get to see with this one this was cool Mm -hmm. oh i love it oh this is why i'm an english major I do think also there is something to be said about the whole self-made man thing. He is right with this idea that you have to be successful. Because one of the things I, I think we forget to is Ramon is 40 years old at this point. Oh, that's right. They do say his age. He is actually older and has made something of himself. I think he even says he lives in a condo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do we? I don't remember if we know what he does for a living, but I don't think it matters. At the, we know he something he used to do, but not what he does currently. Yeah, but I think that the him being like forty or at like that point in his life where you start looking back at like the things you've done in your life to get to where you are, and like starting to question like, well, was it all worth it? Did I waste my time? Am I happy where I'm at? Like, just it makes sense that at this age, uh, this is when he starts regretting some of his choices, and in his case. Is this a midlife crisis? <laughs> you could take it as one, yeah. I think you could. 
Well, it could be the end of a life crisis because we don't know what happens at the end when he hugs um, the homeless woman. So I just know some dogs howl. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what a what a breath of fresh air this was. There was I did have like a brief thought in terms of like uh, there was a lot of like phrasing of like how he had left the ghosts behind. Right. He left his family behind. He left this ghost behind. But somehow it had still followed him into this whole other country, to this whole other life that he's in. And I was kind of interpreting these ghosts as generational trauma. Um, whereas, like, this is this is where his family comes from. And then these are, like, circumstances that have, like, kind of forced that, that life for his family. And even though he's, like, tried to break away from that, like, remnants of it are still haunting him. Because, like, he never took the time to, like, break, to, like, really acknowledge that, that trauma. That's, that's something that I, that lingered in my mind. I couldn't really fully develop the full thought in my head, but it was something that it, it made me think of. I think that makes sense. He, he's being followed by liter, uh, figurative and literal ghosts mm-hmm. from his past. I mean, what is La Llorona in figurative sense, but uh, if not a ghost? A ghost that scared him in his childhood. It represents, you know, not only guilt, but fear. Fear of what he left behind. Fear of who he left behind. Another thing that I that I found kind of strange too is okay, so Ramon is about forty years old, and we know he works, but he lives by himself. So we don't even know if he's been married or if he has children, and he's not referring to them or talking about them in any way. So. And I'm assuming if he's living by himself, he's either divorced or is n- never been married. So, what if he's so determined to be a self-made man that he wants exactly the opposite of what he had before? So he lives by himself in a very spacious place. Avoids family, and it's possible. I feel like those, if there was like the added details of like, oh, he had a family, or oh, he's divorced now. I think that would have clouded the story a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a really tightly, tightly wound story, tightly woven. It's story. very concise in like what it's trying to tell, and it doesn't have any extra details that that otherwise like distract from it. Yeah. Yes. No, I don't think it's needed. It was just something I thought because of his age and his background, especially coming from a background where family is so important. The idea, mm-hmm. um, there is that encouragement to get married and have kids. From what I've seen of Mexican cultures and Mexican families. And then for him to only, in terms of family, think of his sister and mother and not any immediate ones like kids or anything. That's just a, that, it, that is just an interesting thing that I noticed. That's all. But you're right. It doesn't need to be there because the focus is not on that. It's, it's the looking back and what he ran away from and what he is afraid of. That's the good thing about a tightly woven short story, though, is it does prompt a lot of discussion when you really think about it. I'm almost flashing back to being in some of my courses in college. Mm-hmm. When you read a story and you really try to break it down and figure out what's going on, like what, what makes it tick. Mm-hmm. And by sort of examining it, you pull the story apart and find the layers and you find more and more and more to discover. That's It's fun. whether And you can take a lot away from something like that. Like sitting here talking about this with you all, this also makes me feel, this almost makes me feel nostalgic. Thinking back to those days when I was reading stories in classes and, and discussing them with my peers. It's a good, it's a good feeling. It's honestly a, 
it's a warm feeling. I haven't felt like this in a while. Nostalgia is interesting, though, because it's always tinged with a little bit of... Not sadness, but melancholy? I don't know. It's, like, warm, but it's, like, makes me look back on those days with, you know... Anyway, I'm getting deep here. I apologize. Well, I mean, the, actually, she uses words that actually conjure nostalgic feels. Like, one of the yeah. things, uh, like, that I remember she uses is the sky is um, black and white like pictures of the in the old tv set using an old tv set talking about black and white that's a very nostalgic image yeah and it keeps evoking images throughout of things from his his childhood things from where he came from oh okay actually one creepy image and maybe it's just because i know how discomforting this is because it's a less of a visual and more of a audio is how it said that she's scraping her fingernails along the dumpster i can feel that like Ugh. that is what a that i don't know why that sentence and that's why i added it earlier on in the introduction yeah is so discomforting yeah i know it makes it, it makes it like you can feel it in your teeth almost mm -hmm. again a lot of the imagery in this is really good uh what do you think the dogs howling because he keeps mentioning dogs quite a bit and i get there the I idea mean, that the dogs are supposed to howl when la llorona was near oh is that actually a part of the la llorona story that, it, that well i mean that's the thing that gets brought up it's definitely one of the ways that it could be painted and it's brought up in this story like saying oh, that yeah. he says that um you know dogs were supposed to howl when la llorona was near so if you heard dogs howling at night that was supposed to be like a herald of her approach I mean, he he describes that there was actually only one dog, and that was a neighbor's Doberman. But like, I think he, in hearing all these dogs, um, he was kind of mentally taking himself back to his time in Mexico when he would hear the dogs, because there are a lot of stray dogs in Mexico. Yeah. For me, the the stray dogs like barking in the streets or howling in the streets, for me became like a representation of like the rest of the homeless population beside the woman. Mm. he's maybe not actually hearing dogs howling but is is uh, i don't know i just i just it kind of it was it became how he was describing the the, the homeless population is like they're they're in this terrible situation and he's kind of like maybe they're not homeless people are howling in the streets but like just their presence feels like dogs howling in the distance you know oh gosh well, yeah one of the sentences she used because i'm actually looking back through is Wild stray animals that roam the back of the house at night. Like, dogs. Mm -hmm, dogs, but is this also wild stray? Yeah, people? and roaming the back of the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Again, we could like go through this with like a fine tooth comb. I think we could, but I think we've already done a fair amount. I think we've done a good chunk of that. And I also just kind of like want to just viscerally enjoy it for what it was. And yeah, exactly. I think what we take away from it is important. And I think the main takeaway is just that this is a really, really, really good short story. Agreed. Further so cementing Silvio Moreno Garcia as a phenomenal writer. At least a uh, a favorite amongst... Uh... That's for this podcast. <laughs> absolutely. Ra rapidly becoming a favorite. That's absolutely for sure. We, we, we're we slowly getting like, because of this podcast, we're like discovering more authors we like. I think I'm starting to become more fond of like Stephen Graham Jones as a result. Same. Um, mm -hmm. Both through Demon Theory and The Only Good Indians. In the future, we'd probably hit more Grady Hendrix. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I know there's a book sitting on my mant or on our my side table that I know we might hit at some point. Yes, I so think we would consider that. I'll, I'll leave that cryptic remark for later. I actually just finished reading a book by Stephen Graham Jones that I would love for us to analyze and discuss for Darkly Lit, but I figured we should wait on that since we just discussed yes. um, The Only Good Indians. Yeah. But it, it's a good little novella that I really did enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And there's some others that I look forward to reading. I, I assure you, we will eventually read Stephen King. I'm kind of shocked we haven't, but... Are we? <laughs> Do we really have to? <laughs> no, but I mean, if we're going to read Stephen King, then we have to read Joe Hill. That's the other, that's the promise we have to make. <laughs> uh, if we're going to read Stephen King, I think uh, it's going to have to be one of his shorts um, novels, because boy, howdy. Uh- <laughs> exactly. I mean, we could always grab uh, one of his short story collections. No, and... we're going to devote an entire year to reading it. No! <laughs> why would you do that? Well, with that horrific thought in mind, hey, where, uh, if people want to join the discussion, actually, what are we going to read next? Oh, Since we're talking about taking a long time to read stuff. So, we had been discussing reading this book for quite a while, but it is a very long book. So, we had to decide... How are we going to handle reading this? Because we really do want to read this one book, but we weren't sure how to handle this. So we decided we're going to split this book up into four parts. So this month we'll read a certain uh, portion of the book, and then the next month we'll read a short story or novella and then go back to the book. The next book we will be reading is Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chabowski. It's very long, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. I've just heard that it's very spooky, and I want to be spooked. I've heard nothing but good things, too. It, again, we've spent this year basically saying, we need to read this. How are we going to read it? Uh, so we decided um, for January, we're going to read uh, up to part four. So we're going to read through parts one and one through three, which is chapters one to 33. Yes. So for those who uh, chose to get the audiobook, you read all the way to chapter 33. Stopping at 34. Stopping at... Stopping at 34. Do not read <laughs> chapter 34. <laughs> These are your instructions. Listen carefully. We'll, uh, we'll make sure to like list that too in the show notes. That way people can refer back to that. Absolutely. <laughs> so that way you, you get everyone can know. It's like, okay, how much are we supposed to read this time? And like I said before, just so it doesn't encompass so much of uh the first part of this year we will intersperse it with a short story or novella in february uh we'll let you know what that is uh next month Mm -hmm. if you like what you hear check out other podcasts on the creative horror network at creativehorror.com or you could check us out on youtube just search creative horror and you'll find us so Kind of surprised we got on the ground floor with that name. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, we're one of the first things you find. Yeah, I know. That's great. You're welcome. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, also, stay tuned for more information. Uh, very soon, we will be doing a live stream. Uh, for December and we will be reading ghost stories I believe we're still working out the details but stay tuned to Creative Horror's Twitter and uh, the other podcasts and we'll have more information about that very soon 
Victorian ghost stories for the win. Until then, uh, happy holidays. Have a happy new year. And be nice to to those who are homeless. And even give back if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Like, no snarkiness here. Just help those less fortunate than you when you can. Just reach out. Also, fuck the patriarchy and down with capitalism. <laughs> we, we giggled, but we fucking mean it. Yeah. We- <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of creativehorror.com a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at creativehorror.com. <laughs>